Today on the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast, we have a very special guest, Sarah Allman from First National Financials with us today. And we're going to be taking a deep dive into Gen Z, Mm -hmm. or as she says it, Generation Z. Um, (laughs) Some say tomato, some say tomato. That's how we say it here at the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. Stay tuned. We have a lovely podcast and very informative. And as Mally put it, inspiring. Inspiring and motivational. Yeah. My name is Parker Bennett, and I've spent the last 20 years helping people through the process of their largest single investment they may ever make, their home. From building inspector to real estate agent, I've chalked up a number of great experiences and strategies for everything related to the home buying experience. This podcast is dedicated to anything and everything around the Kamloops real estate market, Welcome to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. This is episode 97, encroaching on our 100th episode. We're creeping. Creeping into that uh, really cool special podcast that we... Triple digits. Triple digits. Yeah. Yep. It really shows that, you know, we're a real deal. Yeah. And we do have a special podcast for that episode 100, but... Well, let's talk more about that later. Yeah, it's coming. That's the, the voice of Mally J in the background. If you, Here I am. I kind of don't in, introduce you properly, and I feel really <laughs> bad, and I, I almost did it again. I, it's okay. I'm just here. I'm okay. just part of the part of the scenery. Part of the squad. Mm-hmm. Mally J in the house. So today we have an interesting topic, and we have a great, interesting guest that I've had the pleasure of uh, watching her in action do a presentation on the, the content that we're going to share with you today. Uh, her name is Sarah Allman. She's from First National Financial. Thank you for coming. No, oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate you making the ride in. You're from Kelowna, right? Kelowna. Yeah. Tell me about yourself. What is it that you do? I support mortgage brokers by sharing my knowledge of the mortgage industry. Okay. And I've been doing that at First National now for eight years. Crazy. But prior to that, always in banking, always working with financial institutions since about 2003. Interesting. That's awesome. So what's First National? Tell me about First National. So First National is one of Canada's largest non-bank lenders, and we offer commercial and residential mortgages. Now, I'm solely just on the residential side. And again, I work exclusively with mortgage brokers to help Canadians with their home financing. So let's paint a picture for a listener. If, If I'm a potential home buyer and I've chatted with my real estate agent, and they've introduced me to a mortgage broker. That mortgage broker is going to cooperate with you guys to get the financing put together, correct? Exactly. Right. Exactly. And um, The go-between. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. A a true broker. They're brokering the transaction. And what what I always like to share is whether you're working with a mortgage broker or not, and I really do hope you are, but whether you partner with one or not, you're likely benefiting from mortgage brokers in in some sort of macro level. And that's because mortgage brokers keep us lenders competing for the business. Right. And what that results in is more products, better service, and really sort of probably the most important thing is more options. And that's where a broker's truly special. Because a broker doesn't just deal with one lender. They have accessibility to multiple lenders. And not all clients, and even not all properties, for that matter, um, fit every lender's 
guidelines because lender criteria is not a universal thing across financial institutions. Right. And so a broker will work one-on-one with a client, evaluate their very specific needs, and then place them with the lender of best fit. So it really is, I like to say, customized mortgage strategy based on the client's circumstances. Well said. Totally. Can I just caption that and post that on Instagram? <laughs> yes. One of the things I always, you know, like when I meet with a buyer, a lot of times we come before you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Not always, but sometimes we do. Yeah. I love it when we don't. Yeah. Because I yeah. know that they're like, they've, they've gotten some information. It's probably really good information before they've reached out to a realtor. They've qualified themselves financially. And they're vetted. And they're vetted right? in the You game. don't want to waste your time. Right. So when they do talk to their broker first, they've most likely had a really sort of robust conversation yeah. about what that client can actually do. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then one of the things I try to let people be aware of when they're like, well, I have a bank that I work with, and that's great. Um, the problem is the bank probably offers one product, and that product might not fit what we're out to get. Exactly. Right? And so, you know, in Kamloops, we have a lot of different needs. We have a lot of rural property. We have a lot of farms. We have a lot of rental property. We have lakefront property. We have all kinds of stuff that doesn't necessarily meet the criteria for, you know, stationary brick and mortar bank. And sometimes they do, but not always. So it's really good that you mentioned that. And the way you said that is how I'm going to try to remember to tell people that and try to explain <laughs> that to people. But I probably won't articulate it as well, but that was really good. Thanks. Awesome. Well said. <laughs> okay. So the last question about financing, uh, before we get into our topic of choice, which I'm really excited about, um, is what what is so different about First National compared to some maybe some other competitive uh, financial institutions? Well, I mentioned First National is one of the largest non-bank lenders. And I think why mortgage brokers and ultimately the clients love us is because of what we have to offer. And first and first and foremost, First National is all about service. Okay. So we have a very, very um, um, integrated way that we deal with mortgage brokers. Okay. So whenever it's funny, whenever a broker comes to me and says, Oh, I've got a deal and there's a rush, there's a rush subject removal. And I'll be like, well, how many days? Or like be five care- days. Be careful. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, <laughs> put an asterisk beside this. Yeah. Um, and the broker will tell me five days. Sure. Well, that's fantastic. Right. Five days is that, that we're, we're fine. And usually first national really does get a lot of deals where, Mortgage brokers are in a time crunch, and it's because we are so consistently efficient, and that's really first and foremost. Um, So extremely efficient, great service, um, very competitive rates, but something else that um, really sets um, a non-bank like First National apart, apart from other banks has to do with the features that we offer on our mortgages. So I'll just take a minute because this is sure. a big one and yeah, this yeah. is something that there's a ton of confusion about. Mm. And I speak to this on a couple of different levels because before I was at First National, I actually did work for a big bank and I was that in-branch person doing mortgages, slinging visas, opening accounts, jack of all trades. So I was that person dealing with one product, one, one mortgage product for clients and the information I gave being that person was wrong. Right. And it's... Because you just weren't trained in that field specifically. And they do such a great job of whatever institution you're doing. They did a great job of training, 
based on those products. Right. And I would like, I'm a good employee. I'm a good, you know, I, I know what I'm doing, but it's almost like you've got blinders on totally. in I a sense it. because, and yeah. you, and you want to believe that you've got this big brand behind you. Yeah. And so you have a lot of loyalty in that, but what, um, something that sort of really does give First National and even non-bank lenders their sparkle really has to do with how we calculate penalties. Ah. And it's really interesting because all lenders really use the same language when we're talking penalties, especially fixed rate mortgage penalties, and that's three months of interest or something called an interest rate differential, Mm -hmm. IRD for short. So simply put, IRD is the interest that's lost because the contract was broken early. So again, we all use this same phrasing, oh, the penalty is going to be three months interest or IRD, whichever is greater. But what borrowers don't know is that how different institutions actually calculate that penalty has a huge impact on what that penalty will be. Oh. Oh, like it's and not a standard equation across board? Oh. Absolutely not. And it's funny because, again... You heard it here first on the yeah, Cameras Insider. Good, yeah. Good no, and it's, and it's funny because I speak to it very... Yeah. Um, so in depth because I was that person in branch at one of the banks. And I thought very, very naively that, well, the penalty is really just the interest that's lost. And okay, there's, you know, there's a cost to when a client breaks that contract for sure. And to be very clear, I don't want to villainize penalties here. Because when when somebody does break a mortgage contract early, there's absolutely costs that go into unwinding or unraveling that contract, let alone the fact that there was an agreement in place that a certain amount of interest would be paid. So and that's being broken. So of course penalties, Mm -hmm. like penalties are a very, you know, normal part of our industry, but it's how they're calculated. And we've seen upwards of, you know, penalties from banks five times greater than lenders like First National. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I've, I've heard of people who, you know, reach out to me, they want to buy a house. They're basically indicating that they're going to break a mortgage in order to do it because the rate has changed in the wrong direction for their benefit. And then all of a sudden it's, it's a $25,000 fee and we're just not moving. That's a big enough chunk to, to, to sit down and just hang out here for a couple more years. Yeah, because we're not talking pennies here, and it yeah. can be thousands of dollars. And I guess that's why like, I am, I mean, obviously I work for First National, which is a non-bank lender, but I yeah. am just a huge advocate to having a discussion with a well-informed, independent, licensed mortgage broker, mm-hmm. sure. which are very different than what you do find yeah. specifically at institutions. Yeah, sure. I've made fun of them before, um, <laughs> mostly because I I don't like the fact that, I mean, we're speaking, we're, we're speaking basically, I'm not going to pick on a branch here particularly, but the point of the matter is you're buying a house and you have a limited amount of time when you have an accepted offer and a contract. I just heard it yesterday where uh, a buyer was told that their first available appointment at their bank would be March 29th and the mm-hmm. subjects were due off March 28th. So in the two week period, they never even got in front of anybody mm-hmm. and they didn't know any better. Um, maybe the real estate agent should have topped that up, that information. Yeah. Maybe a cup, little nudge. A little but, nudge there. But mm-hmm. I mean, there's the situation, right? Like they didn't prioritize the mortgage over day-to-day banking. Mm-hmm. So yeah, cool. I mean, I appreciate you coming in. I appreciate you you know, informing people about how that process looks from 
a macro perspective, mortgage mm-hmm. broker in the middle, realtor nudging, and you have a financial institution at the back end, which could be a bank. It could be a financial institution that specializes in funding homes for people. Yeah. And there's, you know, when it comes to sort of having that very, very in-depth discussion with a mortgage broker, again, that broker has just so many options. And maybe maybe the best fit is a credit union or a bank. Sure. They might be a fit. Or a non-bank. But at least there's the options there, yeah. which is really sort of this a huge you know, a huge value proposition that you really need to make sure that you take advantage of in its entirety. Now, I had a really cool question I wanted to ask you, and it still kind of portrays to what we were talking about. So I, I have to get it out. There is a standard in Kamloops, and I say standard carefully. It's not like a, a, a rule, but it's just like a habit realtors have mm. of building conditions in a two-week period. Okay, like a 10 business day sort of framework for getting all their due diligence done when they make a purchase offer. Okay. We just came out of COVID where times were different and we had to be speedy about it, but now we're back to more conventional offers. And I know you deal with probably a lot of people outside of Kamloops. So I'm just speaking of Kamloops. Okay. Just our market. Do you ever wish that the unspoken rule of 10 days for due diligence was like 20 or 18 or, or 11? <laughs> just oh, more. I'm going to answer this pretty selfishly just yeah. because I really have had the luxury for the last eight years of working with a lender that is just so, and I've said it before, consistently efficient. Like mortgage brokers love us because we make them look like rock stars gotcha. to their realtors. So selfishly, you know, in a perfect world, 10 days across the industry. But do I even want that standardized? No, because that's kind of what makes us special a little oh, bit. Well said. Now, that, now, my underwriters at the branch probably yeah. going to be cringing when they hear me say that. <laughs> but really, when, when you know you've got an edge and you do it so well, yeah. like it's, and it's actually, um, it kind of reminds me when mortgage brokers sometimes talk about going back to the penalty discussion, um, sometimes when there is a really nasty penalty, like $25,000, again, obviously depends on where rates are in the market, but every so often it'll kind of creep up in discussion. Well, maybe everybody should be uniform in how they offer, um, sorry, how they um, calculate penalties. And then I'm like, no, 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 let's remember. Yeah. That's, that's part of the differences and that's why right? That's yeah. why you go to lenders that sort of specialize in something different. It's the competitive edge. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Good point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I want to take you back in time. <laughs> I know you've been in the industry for a while and even in the banking industry, you're probably pretty familiar with this, but um, when I bought my first home, it was on a piece of paper, single piece of paper. It was a uh, carbon copy. <laughs> so you had to push hard and the contract was really simple. And then we evolved into more disclosure and rules about what realtors should be disclosing before making offers and remuneration and how that, how that looks from a macro perspective. Where does all the money go in the transaction and who's representing who? And you can only represent this party. You can't represent both parties. There's been a lot of evolution in rules over the course of the last 20 years. Safe to say it got complicated. It got complicated <laughs> really fast too. Um, And then I dive back to how I found my first house, which was literally you had to go to a broker and get their book of the week, which had all their listings in it. And you would flip through the pages and they would be categories and subdivisions. 
and you would circle the one that has the, the nicest picture because it only had one. Mm-hmm. And it was an inch by an inch because that was all that you could squeeze in there. And you drive out and you do a drive-by. And you, you, <laughs> okay, first of all, when was this? You said 20 years ago? This was in uh, 1998. Amazing. 25 years ago. Somewhere in that range, Brilliant. yeah. So printed, a lot of printed materials and you'd be ta- you have to go to each brokerage to look at their flip book. Yeah, because you didn't have the luxury of seeing everybody at the same time. First of all, nobody had computers. Right. Right. <laughs> and they were just a fad. We weren't sure they were going <laughs> to <Yeah>. catch on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we basically had to go to, you know, if you were working with a real estate agent, they would sort of do that for you. They mm-hmm. would get all the books from all the local brokerages, but the brokerage would publish their own book. Mm-hmm. And you would look through and, you know, if, if there was a listing, that, if there was a broker that you didn't really want to deal with, I'm sure that agent didn't pick up their book that week, right? right? And you just had to deal with that. It's a lot of printed material if they were printing them weekly or monthly or what have you. Yeah, and we didn't recycle either. No, just straight into the garbage. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) There was lots of fire starter in those days. You could, you know, when you're camping, you always had real estate books. And newspaper ads, yeah, it's an expensive way to advertise. I mean, newspaper ads were probably the primary primary tool for marketing listings Mm -hmm. um, because you could buy a bigger ad. And you, that would define you. Yes. That would define you as a, what kind of real estate agent are you dealing with? Well, I'm the kind of guy that buys the big ad in the, in the, <laughs> the real estate section of the pages, right? Yeah. Th- those days are gone, thankfully. Um, although I still have clients that ask me, are you going to put this in the newspaper? Oh, man. And yeah. it's like, no. does anybody read the newspaper anymore? There is a generation of people that do that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of where we're going with this discussion. So Interesting. It's funny because my friend's dad, who is a, a realtor, um, long since retired, but yeah. hearing stories like that where it is just such a different game back totally. then. Yeah. <laughs> Very paper. I'm much too young to. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> so uh, we, we evolved. We evolved, but it took a long time. It, it, it took 20 years for the... Let's say, I would say now we're starting to see a more standardized version of people using videos, Instagram, Facebook are probably the big ones, right? Um, And I think that's got a lot to do with the fact that the generation of realtors are younger Mm -hmm. and they're the ones that are taking those initiative steps. They see the value in marketing to somebody in their same age demographics. Because let's be blunt, uh, a 25-year-old person right now is buying houses, right? Or condos or townhouses. A hundred percent. And that's a completely different generation than I grew up in. Yeah. Yeah. And so they communicate different. They act different. Um, they research different. They just do things differently than I'm, I'm used to. And we talked about this before this podcast, mm-hmm. me and Mally, uh, we talked about how somehow I just assumed that they would just come and meet me where I'm at. Like... <laughs> They would have to adapt to my way of yeah. selling real estate. This is how it's done. <laughs> but this is probably not going to work. And that's why we got Sarah here. She's going to explain to us the difference in the generations and what the newest generation of home buyer that's threatening to, to dominate <laughs> our industry, how we're going to adapt to them. So thank you again for coming in and and you've done some research on this so I'm really excited to hear I've already heard it actually because you presented it in front of us but I wanted to uh, take a deep dive into it we're talking about um, Gen Z and Millennials a little bit 
Yeah, you know what? I um, during my research, so just to give a little bit of context here, Generation Z really was where my interest was. And um, actually, a colleague of mine at First National was at a mortgage conference in the States. And the speaker was talking about targeting individuals, um, targeting the next clients based on their life stage. And that discussion sort of morphed into this topic of Generation Z and really just sort of identifying that Gen Z is going to be a major force and they are going to have tremendous influence on the Canadian real estate market. Mm -hmm. And so that's where, um, that's why I started sort of looking into this. Um, As, you know, after 2020 and 2021 being obviously, you know, off the chart record years, and then the market's shifting a little bit. Obviously, I'm a salesperson, and I work with salespeople, and we're resourceful, we're driven, and we're looking for our next client. And I'm always wanting to sort of explore, okay, well, what's the next opportunity? What can we get excited about? And Generation Z was just sort of staring my colleague Sabrina and I right in the face. And what made it more interesting for us is I have an 11-year-old daughter. Mm -hmm. She has an 18-year-old daughter. And so the minute that we started looking into characteristics of Generation Z specifically, it was just so interesting because we had, you know, the, the um, science ex- experiment living with us. Right. And even as, as we were going through and researching um, Sabrina's daughter, she has an 18-year-old daughter, and one of the things that I found just so surprising is this generation has financial mindfulness. And they're already saving money at a very, very fast pace. And that's one thing that Sabrina mentioned about her daughter is by the time she was 16, she'd saved $20,000. That's insane. Ow. Yeah. And really, when you think about it, the older, like um, Generation Z, so when we're talking birth years for Gen Z, it's um, mid to late 90s to the early 2010s, depending on what article you read, because there is a little bit of sort of um, fluidness Mm -hmm. to to these years. But for Gen Z, that makes the oldest adults that have entered the workforce. And then the youngest, of course, are still tweens that are in school. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about these savings habits, and that was probably the most important because the other narrative that is so loud right now is housing affordability Mm -hmm. and qualifying. And this generation is facing significant home ownership barriers. But what the research, and as we kept reading and reading, and even, again, the real-life example in front of us is they're creative and they're figuring out ways to save money. And this generation has more ways to make sort of a, a passive income than any other generation. And so when you think sort of, Uber, DoorDash. Um, Selling stuff online. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's what, and again, real life experience. My daughter, um, she she saw that I was selling some stuff on Facebook Marketplace. And she's like, well, I want to do stuff. Yeah. And so she was selling her American Girl doll. Nice. And I got to say, the picture she was, t- she was taking in order to sell that, very, very <laughs> um, creative. And I was like, Savvy. wow, mm-hmm. like what's going on here? Right. And, um, and I just sort of found it, like as we're as we're sort of and again just because when i think of generation z and then i look at 
home affordabilities. And I look at, you know, um, mortgage applications all day long. And I talk deals with brokers every day, all day. And it's always about squeezing every penny of qualification sure. out of that client that you can. And so, of course, the the bigger worry is, how are these kids going to be able to afford it? Yep. And I think... It's going to happen because they're so creative. Interesting. And they know how to hustle. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, th- I think they've grown up in an environment like where the hustle is like a fat, is like, it's, a, it's cool. It's cool to be hustling. Great. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a style to be motivated and hungry. And you see it online all the time where it's like, you know, rise early and, and hit the, hit the gym hard and, and, mm-hmm. you know, hustle hard and. I think there's a lot of influencers out there that are promoting that as well. And talking about that hustle um, and how that's really morphed into this creativity and basically just their brains are hardwired to figure out how am I going to make this happen? And I think what's really, um, really, what really has had an impact also is these Gen Z have grown up around this constant dialogue from their Gen X parents. I have my hand up because that's what I am. And so to think about Generation Z, you really do, or to learn about Generation Z, you want to think of, okay, what are the parenting styles? And parents of Gen Z are, the majority are older millennials and again, Gen X. And so we're parenting and I can, sp- and again, just very, very much from experience, parenting with looser reins than right. what the millennials were parented with. And that's because our generation, Gen X, we were at home alone because really we were at sort of the dawn of when um, both parents were working. Um, so we were left home alone for hours. And so we had to be resourceful. Yeah. We had to be independent. So as we're parenting our kids, the thought process is we don't want them to to end up like those entitled millennials. Right. And I say that with, with a bit of a smile on my face, tongue in cheek, because it should be noted that every generation really does have a level of disdain for the next generation. Sure. Okay. But millennials yeah. certainly did get labeled a little bit. Every generation complains about yeah. the next. Exactly. But, but I would exactly. say like, not to interject, but that, yeah, millennials have been... Um, pointed to as the like killer generation of like, oh, millennials killed this. They've killed, um, I can't even think of an example right now, but all but kinds of technologies and old ways that it's, it's and, and I've heard it, I've heard it about the baby boomers. Yeah. Right? Because that would be my parents' generation. Yeah. That they've wrecked it for us. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so I think you're right. It is like inherent to the structure of following and leading a generation that there's blame assigned to the ones on either side of you. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, because they're different. Yeah. And they think differently and they act different and they operate different. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I should, I should point out too that when we're talking sort of the different generations, it's not that each generation can fit into this nice, neat little box. Totally. But rather when we're looking at these commonalities, it's almost like clues. And those clues can help us on how to market to these people, how to influence them, and how to establish meaningful connections, which is really sort of what, when I look at what I do for a living, is working with mortgage brokers. Mm -hmm. And again, their value proposition is having a meaningful discussion with those clients. Totally. And so when you understand a little bit about what's influenced them, it just helps the transaction Mm -hmm. overall. Well, one of the things that I took from your presentation um, that I wasn't even thinking about 
was the idea that I was going to have to meet this generation somewhere if I was going to stay in business. Mm -hmm. And I never thought about it, but then I, as you started to explain and I started to digest, and then I realized getting on board sooner than later is going to be advantageous. Totally. And I think what the point that I like to get across is with this generation, and again, they're set to to be such a major force because it really is the fastest growing demogra- uh, demographic uh, within the workforce and consumer base. And when you think back on the real estate industry, millennials, um, they powered so much of our market. And now that's going to be replaced with Gen Z. And so when we think about, okay, well, how are we going to connect with them? How are we going to communicate? Something that is glaringly apparent is you must meet Gen Z where they are. Right. And I'm not talking about at the Starbucks down the street (laughs) and where Gen Z gets the majority of their information and their inspiration is social media. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's where they are. And like, they're defined by different social media than how I would define social media, uh, yeah. right? Because they're not on Facebook. They're not on Facebook. <laughs> uh, I bug my my oldest daughter because she she's an aspiring actor, and uh, in her in her pursuit of acting, I've started to follow actors and like upcoming actors and local actors, and I, I'm seeing how they market cool. themselves. And I'm telling her, like, this is what you got to do. And she's just rolling her eyes at me. Not Facebook, Dad. But I'm like, but that may be where the market is for you. Because the director might be in the Facebook category, right? Mm -hmm. That's in their class of generation. So if you're not going to get in, if you're not going to meet, you know, your potential boss or your potential working life opportunities where they are, you're going to miss the boat. Because I assure you that... The, the person who's going to hire you is probably not going to be younger than you, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I never know. So, but even in saying that, I'm looking in the mirror and saying, hey, how do I meet mm-hmm. Gen Z? Gen Z. Gen Z. <laughs> well, maybe Gen Z, depending on where you are. They're also referred to as Zoomers or yes. Centennials, actually, yes. as well. Um, and it's interesting because you mentioned Facebook and social media. And really, um, just this concept of communicating on social media, um, everybody everybody thought that the millennials were the true digital natives. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of another sort of classification or characteristic of they millennials. They grew up in the internet era. Exactly. The dawn of, of the internet. And that's true. But as far as communicating and using social media as a form to connect, that's where it's different. Because millennials, you know, yes, they've always had access to um, to social media, but it's the Gen Z that is using it to make connections. Mm-hmm. Right. And and you really, when you're thinking about okay, well, how do I appeal to this market? You really do need to have a deeper understanding of each platform and how they use each platform. And just for a quick example, like TikTok, for example. Um, and I roll my eyes because obviously I, I, I hate TikTok. I, but um, I have let my daughter have a TikTok account. And she can navigate that and right. use it and look up things. And it's, it's uncanny. And they have this uncanny ability to filter content. Right. And their attention span um, is, is eight seconds, mm-hmm. it's been said. Right. And they're so highly visual. So getting back, so understanding the platforms with TikTok, well, you're going to use that for fun, entertainment, you know, just to have fun. Mm-hmm. Snapchat is sort of for everyday moments, 
Instagram is where they get their inspiration. Um, Twitter is where they learn a lot about their news and current events. Now, not to discount Facebook and LinkedIn altogether, but they just, there's limited time spent totally, there. Yeah. And it's, yeah. A, it's generational too. I think that there's probably, I mean, LinkedIn is different. They're all different. They all have their spot, right? They all have mm-hmm. their spot. And there's new ones starting out all the time. Um, I'm just so curious about how many people actually got a TikTok account after you did that presentation. <laughs> <laughs> I hope a few, actually. Um, or, or even a Snapchat account. Yeah. yeah. And I think what I really, what I was hoping to get across in that presentation as well is just how critical stepping into video is. And it all comes back to with Generation Z, they are so highly visual and creative. Mm -hmm. And I know it's been, I've given that presentation to some other groups. And sometimes when I look out in the audience, I see, you know, maybe, maybe in the 50, 50 years old and above. And I I am quick to point out that it's not that Gen Z doesn't want to buy from an older, an older demographic. It's just you need to communicate to them how they want to be communicated right. and what's going to take up mind space for them. And there's no doubt about that video really is the link that they're looking for. Interesting. That's I another, agree 100%. That's important to note right there. Yeah, I had someone yesterday, uh, we were talking about this, and they asked me, well, do I have to you know, what about editing and perfectly curated content? And I'm like, no, you've got an iPhone. One of the things with this demographic as well is they really just want authenticity. Totally. They want it real. They want it relatable. Um, And anytime you can really humanize yourself or your brand or make it real, that's where you're going to have success. And uh, another thing that I learned while I was researching this is, um, and I think this actually isn't really special to Gen Z, although I really have noticed it again with my daughter and what she watches, but they really like seeing, or they'll, they'll be motivated to buy when they see satisfaction from their peer group. Gotcha. So I'm not talking, you know, the... Um, star-studded, you know, plugs or something like that, the Kim Kardashians or whatever, but really they want it relatable. Mm -hmm. And when they see, you know, themselves or see Gen Z, they're able to sort of use that and that's what they're using for their buying decisions. Right. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, you you keep coming back to this idea that they need to see their peers and like their generation, they need to see them having success with something in order to, for them to buy into that idea. Mm-hmm. That's a mm-hmm. that's an interesting concept to really wrap your head around because, you know, in the way we do marketing and when we advertise videos for real estate transactions, you know, like we're marketing houses and the mm-hmm. beauty of the house and we're relating it. One of the things that I've heard feedback from is that when you're scripted, there's not a lot of value there. No. It's got to be kind of from the heart. It's And you mentioned the human element, right? Mm-hmm. So in doing those videos, it does feel like it has a better, you know, you know, it just, it, it organically moves through social media better mm-hmm. when you're just airing it out. And they're more fun to watch. Like I, I think there's such a standard convention among how realtors advertise on social media right now, because it, it's, it's a bit stale and we've talked, Parker and I've talked about this a lot over the, um, last few months for sure but you know it's like a picture of a house there's a price it's a static image there's 
uh, you see that a lot. And it's an unbelievable image because it's taken from a photographer who's got the right angle and the right filters. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying don't do that. It's a great photo, but it's not really the content that Gen Z is looking for. Right. What is the next evolution? You've said videos. That is actually like... A great revelation. <laughs> and and we, we joke with the idea that we it. need to come up with our own dance in order to be like happening um, realtors at this thing. <laughs> but like, but that would not be authentically you either. So like finding the, finding the voice for social media. Yeah. Is and that's little... very important mm-hmm. because it can't be forced. Totally. Yeah. Right. So that's very, very important. I would say too, like speaking for my, myself less about the real estate industry context, but as a what I like to call a geriatric millennial, because I am right <laughs> at the top edge of that, um, it's a little nerve-wracking to post on online sometimes. Like there's a whole other persona or um, sort of what do I really want to be out there in the world conversation that I have with myself every time I'm posting something about my band or what have you that like – to develop the voice, it does take practice, but it's sort of a double-edged sword of you have to be in that arena actively to develop the voice for that arena. So this is just mm-hmm. a pep talk moment for myself to say, just do yeah. it. Just get in there and see what But what Sarah, happens. would you would you say that Gen Z has a better bullshit factor in that they can read that from a different generation, I do. Yeah, I do, and that's something that um, definitely came up when I was when I was reading articles. Just this, really, they have this ability to be able to filter content, right? So maybe not so much of. I think I think what's sort of important to remember is you need to figure out how you're going to take up space in their brain. So how can you be memorable? Yeah. Because maybe they're not filtering out the bullshit so much. Because in eight seconds, maybe that is a bit arguable, but it's more about how are you going to stick? Right. So that they want to follow you or see more. Right. Yeah. And something else that's... um, with Generation Z, and we haven't really gone here yet, so we're talking about video, we're talking about how to sort of get in front of them and, and again, meet them where they are. But when you are dealing with Gen Z, by the time they've gotten to you, by the, by the time they've gotten to engaging a professional, they've done so much research. Interesting. They know there's... And again, it's at their fingertips... And they've mm-hmm. grown up with this ability. Right. And so they'll be so well-versed or know a lot of the elements about what we're trying to do. Or they'll, even when we're talking mortgage brokering, they'll understand, well, different lenders do have different penalties because they will have read about it. Yeah. But the thing that I think that we need to take away from that is they think they know the information. Right. And so what I'm telling a lot of my mortgage broker clients is you need to promote yourself as the expert that will help navigate through the abundance of information they'll find online. Totally. And I think that's really important too because when you when you think about what a broker you know, whether real estate or mortgage for that matter, yeah. what a broker is doing is they're helping the client with a decision. So you're presenting them with the options, but that person still wants to be guided. They want a professional's opinion totally. on what decision to make. So I think that's sort of the angle that sales professionals have to come across too, to, to really mm. connect with this. Interesting. This yeah. You know, it's funny. We we're listening to property yesterday and the feed older generation, baby boomer style. And the feedback I got from pricing the property was all from the neighbors. 
<laughs> like they'd spoken to the neighbors about the price and this is how they came up with the price. Yeah. And it's like, well, what do your neighbors do? But they're not real estate professionals. I promise you that because <laughs> otherwise you'd use them, right? So we're a baby boomer. Maybe get their information. It's not going to be like looking up listings or looking up relevant data that you would see online. Yeah. It would be through the sphere of people that they trust. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a really good kind of differentiating component too. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Cool. I I can't wait to get my Snapchat going. Let's get on it. We gotta <laughs> we gotta we have a couple of apps we need to get you a profile. You could like on. take a week off and then just evaluate what Snapchat is. <laughs> we should. Because I still can't wrap my head around it. I still can't wrap my yeah. head around TikTok for that matter. And my right. daughter just needed to have it, wanted to have it. And, you know, you hear about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's funny. I feel like I joke that it was my biggest, you know, parenting mistake ever was letting her sort of have have this account, which I do monitor. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I do, I do watch what goes on there, but I, I still don't get it. Right. And, and I look <laughs> at it and I, I don't get it. <laughs> so think about your kids now, right? Because they're like... They probably don't listen to you as much as they would listen to right, their peers on social media, yeah. right? Because they see that content mm-hmm. and they believe it to be true. Mm-hmm. And the narrative could be different, but it doesn't matter, especially if it's got a lot of organic movement mm-hmm. through their community, Yeah, right? It's why, the, like in COVID, I, I hate coming back to the COVID scenario, but it, it's going to, one day we're going to watch a really good Netflix series on how COVID changed us. Oh, oh big time. Yeah. It's going to be a great documentary. Yeah. But interestingly enough, about all the information that was spread, it was the first time we really had a, a real concern amongst humanity where we were all involved in social media and the mm-hmm. people that we trusted to listen to information from directed our opinions. And I can't, like my wife's an RN, she's a public health nurse. Like the vaccine was a priority in her life to be you know, to promote it. And how many times I would bring her information and I'd say, well, what about this? This is what I heard. And she would say, well, you know, you got to be careful where you're hearing that from and where did you hear it from? And I'll give you our counter on that from, (laughs) from a health organization. But then there was a lot of mistrust. It's just really, really interesting. It's fascinating. But everything that you're saying, it makes 100% sense. Like 100%, like where their information is coming from, is going to depict how that community grows. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. we need to step into that arena as real estate agents, mortgage brokers. I mean, every person who's a salesperson who's re- going to be relying on the next generation to make major purchases mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in their life, they're going to have to find a way to actively communicate organically. Authentically. Authentically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really good. I love it. Thank yeah. you. I do appreciate you coming on the uh, podcast. Was it your first podcast? This is my very first podcast. You're a superstar. <laughs> I love having you here. We should have you again. There was probably in this podcast, there was probably about nine different things that we could have made a whole podcast about. I know. Yeah. It's true. Sarah came with uh, lots of uh, ammo for us. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for coming on the podcast. And uh, if you're uh, tuning in here, it's uh, Sarah Ullman from First National Financial. Uh, and you guys are located in Kelowna, right? But that doesn't really matter. You're... You're basically virtual. Yeah, yeah. So we like head office yep. is Toronto, and then we have branches across the country. So I actually manage a territory. So I'm I'm a remote worker mm-hmm. managing the BC interior, but then we have a branch where my underwriters are in Vancouver. 
Um, there's branches across the country, but head head office is Toronto. Cool. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your day. I'm sure you have a busy schedule ahead. The market is insane. I'm sure you guys are flying off the deep end. Yeah, yeah, and, definitely. Uh, <laughs> we're moving on and moving up into the spring market. It's true. And like I'm I feel really enriched having had this conversation. I feel, you know, as much as we are really not just surface level, but but I I can see that there's so much more to be learning and focusing on and paying attention to with what Gen Z is up to and how they need to be. Do you feel like you gotta take some action? I feel inspired. I feel super motivated, <laughs> but I don't know what that is, but Starts with us making a TikTok account for Parker, for sure. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Sarah. Awesome. Appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, so, you much. so much. Hey, thanks for listening to the Kamloops Real Estate Insider Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to get new episodes delivered right to your feed. And we want to hear from you. Send comments and questions to parker at royallepage.ca or reach out on Instagram at pbrealestater.com.